Hello and welcome to Beyond Organic Wine. I'm Adam Huss coming to you from arguably the most special place in the universe, my home and yours, planet Earth. I'm excited to say that my sponsor for this episode is one of the most special places in the wine world. And I don't say that because I'm working here. Piscinus Ranch and Learning Center is a regenerative ranch and a global leader in regenerative grazing-based viticulture. The vineyard that I get to help take care of this year is honestly unique in the world. Designed and managed by Kelly Mulville to enable year-round grazing of sheep from its inception and to incorporate and demonstrate the incredible benefits of regenerative viticulture. And the best part is that the folks here want to share what they're learning with you. So this March 28th and 29th, the ranch is holding the first, hopefully annual, regenerative viticulture immersion on site. I think this will be the start of something very special. Kelly and Rob Rutherford are the holistic educators and facilitators of the immersion and will lead us through two days packed with content and interaction, both indoors and in the vineyard. This will be relevant to everyone, whether you just love wine or if you're a wine grower or winemaker. We believe the power in our gatherings here are not just about the presentations, but about all the people together connecting and participating in the learning and experiencing deeply meaningful fun. As Kelly says, the only expert in this realm is the inherent wisdom of the natural world. We are all on this journey of learning and exploring together. You can learn more and register at PiscinusLearning.org. And let me spell Piscinus for you. It's P-A-I-C-I-N-E-S, PiscinusLearning.org. I hope to see you here this March 28th and 29th. Bring a bottle of some regenerative wine because I volunteered to host a wine tasting Thursday night. And hopefully we'll also get to taste some of the wines made from the vineyard here. So hope to see you soon. This episode is the second part of the conversation I had with Nicholas Hock of Triebwerk Agroforestry Consulting in Germany. In this part, Nicholas asked me to go into detail about the vitiforestry project that I'm planning near the Finger Lakes region of New York. As part of my education and design process for this farm, I took a permaculture design certification course last year through Oregon State University and used the New York land for my design project. As we learned in last week's episode, it's probably more accurate to call this an analysis process rather than a design process because the emphasis is really on carefully learning about the land, who lives there, what kind of relationships exist prior to my involvement, how can we best enter the picture without doing harm, how can we ensure that the actions we take in the land are beneficial. Once you start asking these questions and listen and observe and research for the answers, the design will almost take care of itself. All of the elements of soil, water, wind, sun, fire, ecology, culture, social connections, climate, and history join together to guide what our stewarding of the land could look like. Our passions and intentions are important, of course, but in ecological design and permaculture design, they should respond to the land rather than force the land to respond to us. In this episode, we discuss many of the details of this vision I have for my vitiforestry project, and how it was informed by this process of land analysis. As you'll hear, even though grapes are what inspired this project, I've come to see them as only a part of what is best for this land. I think it's an important point that I began by thinking about features and through a lot of learning and consideration, I realized I needed to pay attention to systems and relationships. The permaculture course I took led me to these considerations and asks us to 
plan plant system designs rather than tree planting, for example. Relationships are at the heart of regenerative viticulture, and that's what I love about vines growing with trees. 2,000 years ago, Pliny the Elder wrote a natural history encyclopedia, and one chapter entirely was about growing vines and trees. He said, quote, The experience of ages has sufficiently proved that the wines of the highest quality are only grown upon vines attached to trees, end quote. Since then, we've lost most of the knowledge that was common to his time, and this practice of treelessing vines <laughs> rather than trellising, as Nicholas coins in this episode. So much of the work that is being done in vitiforestry now is rediscovery. We aren't providing answers, we're asking questions. If you, like me, want to create a wine culture that isn't built on the fossil-fueled industrial inputs that is diverse and regenerative, then growing vines in living trees seems an important form of viticulture to consider. It has some obvious benefits, but it also has some obvious challenges. Like anything, there's some compromises to consider, and there are even more unknowns. I mentioned this in the episode, but I want to underline that all of this planning and designing of a vitiforestry system on this land in New York is not my idea. I'm just mimicking what's already happening on the land. Without any help or analysis or planning or designing, grapevines are already growing in trees all over the property. All I'm really doing is encouraging more of that natural cultural expression in a way that is easier for humans to manage and produce even more grapes and tree fruits. The context, the ecology of the land is of utmost importance. For example, if I was planning a farm in California now, I would probably be thinking about agave and prickly pears and peyote rather than grapes and pears and persimmon trees. <laughs> there are some things that we know about vitiforestry. One reward for embracing vitiforestry that's obvious is diversity. To me, diversity is one of the elements of beauty. As you'll hear, my primary goals for my vitiforestry project are to ask what viticulture might look like if we designed our systems if we build our cultures to be beautiful rather than just efficient, to be self-sustaining rather than just productive. I want my farm, my wine forest, to give you a sense of wonder as you walk through it and to be resilient when the fragile systems we've built quickly with fossil fuels come crashing down. I don't think beauty and wonder and resilience have to be at odds with living, but they might be at odds with my current mindset on some things. They might be at odds with our current dominant culture that exerts so much pressure on our thinking through its economic values. Maybe what I'm proposing is an alternative universe. <laughs> I'll admit that, but I hope that I can share it with you someday. For now, let's imagine. Enjoy. Okay, let's let's switch uh, our jobs. I'll, I'll be the interviewer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, yeah, maybe I'll ask just you um, ask you about your process and maybe just, just give us a brief overview of um, this permaculture design course, what you've did and the steps you've taken. And um, I believe it's okay to say at this point um, uh, that uh, you've also done, done some slides um, that, you're, you, that you would to share. With, uh, yeah, with absolutely. Anybody yep, who I, wants to follow along. I will put these uh, on, on the website at, at beyondorganicwine.com on the, on the page for this episode so that if uh, you know, people can link to this um, slide Google slide presentation of about let's see how many slides is it about over 80 slides or about 85 <laughs> slides something like that yeah 80, close so to 90 we'll, slides 
<laughs> if we're looking at a slide, we'll let you know. Um, right. <laughs> we'll give the numbers and um, yeah, and the first slides I'm looking at, uh, the first slides, the first and second slide, slide and third, sorry, because um, this is actually giving you the overview of how, I guess, how you've approached. Um, yeah, the table of contents is really instructive just to see, you know, that, that process that we were, we talked about, but then to give that outline, just that those first three pages give that. And I should say this is uh, through an online course through Oregon State University. It's a permaculture design certification course. Um, I think it's been, I have nothing but good things to say about it, other than the, my only complaint is like the online thing. You just have to understand that there are certain, you know, compromises that make from not being in person. But I think there's a lot that you gain from doing it online as well. Um, like you said, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, for me, taking a class is always tough because you, you, you know, the group think thing happens, can slow you down, can, can, uh, can give you a lot of benefits, but can also like keep you from moving ahead at your own pace. And so doing it online was great. Um, but also a lot of what I had to do was, um, you know, graphic design in Google Slides, <laughs> which, you know, may in some ways is really important because, you know, communicating the ideas yep. behind the, the, you know, communicating is always a really important skill to have. And, and yes, using graphic design for communication is, is really important. Therefore, yeah. I just, it's one of those things you have to kind of understand you're getting into if you get into mm -hmm. this kind of a course. But yeah, so that's the, the background. And I chose this site in New York that, um, I fell in love with and and now own and um, want to develop and it's a it is a it's a hollow um, sort of uh, about thirty minutes south of Ithaca, New York, mm. and it's um, mostly wooded, uh, but there are several meadows that total I don't know I want to say twenty to 25 acres depending on how and one one of the meadows uh, i mean some of the meadows most of the meadows have been sort of lightly farmed like for hay um, yep. by a local farmer um, prior to m me getting there uh, some sometimes tilled and used for corn feed corn for cows um, and then there's one meadow that's kind of been given back to it's successional thing so it's in like mm. its first stages of succession after mm. being uh, just you know the the initial grasses and things that come in um, forbs and grasses and uh, annuals that come in now it's starting to get some perennial shrubs and things like that scattered throughout it so it's in that second stage of ecological succession um, but but is a really interesting you know because of the sort of the whole site has been used and disturbed for the most part and and there is water significant water in it it's near the top of a watershed so it's um it's got a lot of habitat and because that's incredibly biodiverse there's a, a fox that lives in the hollow you know i've nearly stepped on wild turkey nest in the meadow just you know they're just nesting out in the open meadow there's always deer um bear as well and then you know everything else i mean i just those are the sort of mega, you know, keystone species, megafauna that are there. And then there's mm -hmm. just gobs of everything else there. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's beautiful in that sense. And, and, you know, a number one goal for me is to not screw that up, <laughs> basically, um, yep. <laughs> to, to not harm that. And then number two is to, to invite people to see agriculture in a different way by what I designed and developed there and to, you know, invite people to reconnect 
um, with agriculture as a, a specifically with these added value or enticement pro- products like wine or mm-hmm. cider or some sort of co-ferment yeah. that you, you know people can be lured in with to taste and enjoy and sort of experience the land um, centrally but then also maybe even get out and take a walk through a, a vine for a wine forest that mm-hmm. is that opens their eyes to other possibilities of of mm-hmm. thinking about agriculture in a way that's um, designed around beauty and wonder rather than just productivity so mm-hmm. those are the that's the context in my brain i'll put it that way <laughs> for this land uh, wow great um adam uh, you know what i love is is i was just thinking wow i i, I really want to have I, I really want to see that site now and i think that's so beautiful um how you've also laid out this whole slides is is really um you've gone deep into what you want about this and you can really formulate it just you know just put by me asking it um so clearly and i think that's one of the big powers of doing these courses but also you know using this structure that the um, permaculture design courses offer um is because it asks the right questions like why do you want to do it um and and what's your goals in and all these things and also gives you the language to express these things but also um um you know um you, you were saying something about the um that there's a part of the land that's that's being offered to succession so there's um, in my head, there was this, oh, wow, great. We have actually not just what is normally quite more common is, is this, you know, open landscape where we have um, um, the, the grasslands and then just like there's a solid wall and then there's the hardwood forest. But there's right. actually this part in between. And yeah. this is this is where the magic happens. All these yeah. areas that are, um, you know, that, that are, that are um, if you have all of these areas, not just the hardwood forests and the grasslands, which are great habitats and everything in themselves, but they really increase significantly in biodiversity when you have um, a successional part um, that is in between these stages. Um, yeah, that's that's really great. So, um, you know, you've, you've, cho- you've chosen the right site definitely for, for your goals and um, or, or you've, I think you've fit, you've probably developed the goals to that site. Um, yeah. I think that, just to give you feedback on that, I think you've really done that quite well. I, I think I would have, my you know on my side and it's not my point to tell my client what to do but but if i would hear you oh there's this successional part and i really want to cut it away you know my heart would bleed a little bit but you know then again <laughs> that's also part of my job not to you know yeah, i would point it out i would definitely say that um hey this is you know from an ecological aspect this is great leave it if yeah you can, but yeah. if you can't well that's that's the reality right well but, it's yeah one mm-hmm. two i have two thoughts for that site uh, for that mm-hmm. meadow um it's mm-hmm. it's slightly north facing and and also slightly mm-hmm. wet. Uh, it's a pretty wet okay. meadow for whatever reason. I think there are some springs um, mm-hmm. and it, it just stays marshy in places. Oh. So I mean, and and regardless of that, one of the considerations that I had was um, it's a beautiful site for camping or for like a small off grid you know sort of cabin because it, you have this sort of surrounding forest you're you're you really are surrounded by this whole thing and and Mm -hmm. i mean it's just a beautiful place to hang out and like you said watch what happens there because the whole meadow is like an edge ecosystem so there's a lot happening there all the time um and it's deep enough in that you're away from you know human like the main paths that humans take around the land and so it's much more the the 
the area of the other inhabitants of that land. And so you, you're sort of in somebody else's home and get to see how they live, um, you know, see how they all are interacting with that space. So kind of a wild and not wild, but a, you know, really interesting space from that perspective. But mm. also because of that, and because I'm, I'm thinking actively about how to, how to produce <laughs> grapes and things that are delicious to many of these other inhabitants of the land without them eating those grapes <laughs> um, and totally destroying my ability to, to make wine or to have, you know, product at the end of the year. Um, so that meadow may become this sort of sacrifice, what I, not, not a sacrifice, but like an offering meadow to all those uh, non-humans at, where I'm going to intentionally plant other grapes and other food crops that I don't intend to harvest, that I don't intend to protect so mm -hmm. that yeah. they will know that this is like a safe space for them that will, you know, I mean, I, that, I, that could totally backfire. I could just increase populations of all of these mm -hmm. um, other non-humans and then they, there would be even more for them who would want our crops. But, but my hope is to sort of create some discouragement around mm -hmm. uh, the crops that I want to keep and then uh, offer these other crops as like, mm. there's no discouragement here. So help yourself and stay away from the other ones kind of idea. <laughs> but again, it might backfire. We'll see. Those are, those are just some thoughts for that meadow. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love that. And <laughs> I love, I love the thinking behind it. Um, also, uh, even though I had, I, I admit I was smiling on this and uh, end of it because of course, I mean, like you said, it might backfire and, um, um yeah i was just thinking about the bears that you mentioned that somebody saw bears and i was just like Oof, yeah um yeah i mean we don't have bears around our place at all anymore in, in no, most it's parts a... of central europe so i'd love to see a bear in my garden but maybe or maybe not here. but um yes i mean that's that's great and i mean um i think what is cool um is to see how much thought you put into this and 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 also your ideas show you as a person and you will, you know, in, and put that onto the land. And that's what I, I love about um, also, you know, when you go away from, from um, you know, the, the standard model of agriculture, which, which its face normally looks the same everywhere. You know, it's actually, you're, you're much, it's, it's much easier to show um, you and your family and and people that live there um, and what your values are and really be able to live them um, and I know there's some more sites um, on the land um, just by looking at the, the um, project briefly before we started um, um, I think you did there was a, a, a part of the land you were also mentioning is, is like a ceremonial land or something like that if I remember correctly um, yeah yeah, so yeah. There's a there's this very beautiful small confluence where um, the main stream that creates the hollow, which is an east-west stream, and it's 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 perennial, but it, it does wax and wane in its strength because during the season, um, from you know from full to less full. I mean, because it's near the top of the watershed, so it's not drawing from this huge area of of water collection, um, but it's a it's a it's a permanent stream but and then there's another one that's you know probably when it gets really dry would turn into almost nothing and is more of like a spring that kind of you know comes and goes but when it's wet it's definitely mm. running and most of the time it's running even when it's dry and they meet at a confluence area um right in the heart of the land in the in the heart of the hollow and there's a flat area right around it right right in the neck of the confluence right beside the mm -hmm. confluence that mm -hmm. sort of the land 
flattens there for you know just a few meters in in, yeah. in a nice area where you know easily you know 50 people could gather around and then the land of the hollow slopes up from around that um mm. and the streams diverge out into different areas and get steep but that little there's just this little beautiful spot that mm. you know confluences have historically i think had yeah. significance in in many reasons you know mm. both mm. metaphorically and and practically but also spiritually and mm. it just feels like a site where mm. you know it's it's worth having people gather there too cool. and there's a little waterfall right at the confluence as well like well little... perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds perfect and um yeah. sorry i didn't mention that before i finished my answer the question was actually that slide 81 shows this zoning that you've came up with um so for the people that want to check that out um slide 81 is where you can look at and you will also yeah. see the confluence and the, and the stream there but yeah. um this was just one of the things um you know these are the things that you think about and it's perfect um you know some other people might not you know have that background that socialization or maybe don't maybe they don't want people gathering on their farm for whatever reason right. you know it, it, i'm just yeah. you know it, you know and i think it's this is just showing so nicely um in your design is is really uh, your values and and that this farm is not just a farm and 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 uh, but it's actually a place for more people it's a place for learning and um, yeah, so that's that's you can also see it in your analysis and and, and zoning that you've put out. And the so, concept of zones is really important in the agroforestry, um, uh, sorry, in the permaculture um, design um, to find different zones for different parts of the farm where you, it's more maybe more for production, maybe something more for um, nature reserved, um, something like that. So, um, but yeah, getting back to um, maybe yeah. um, let's just briefly step um take us through your analysis the, the way um it was lined out in in this course and the way you've done it um maybe also mention what kind of tools you've used and um, that would be really helpful i think for your listeners yeah mm -hmm. well um i mean the first thing I th which i think i mentioned was like a, a personal survey and so that's just sort of like a self interview, a self analysis, which mm -hmm. I think is yes. really interesting. Like, I, so I mean, which we've already. Sorry, um, that starts at slide five, right? Is it right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, and then, uh, very next thing is is that land history, and of course, mm -hmm. this this land is uh, the land of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. The land specifically is right at the border between the Cayuga and Onondaga land areas. Mm -hmm. um, and you know the the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, also known as Iroquois by the by the settlers, uh, mm -hmm. oldest living democracy in the world, over a thousand year old democracy, um, mm -hmm. and arguably one of the inspirations for all of our modern democracies. Now, um, that, okay. you know, it was the new, you know, a lot of new storytelling um and historical research is uh, if uh, there's a great book called the dawn of everything where it's it's actually mm -hmm. the what they called the the native critique where settlers came to the u.s um on behest of their kings and and met with people who were like what's a king you know <laughs> like what, what do you mean <laughs> like what is obedience what are you guys talking about what is wrong with you guys you know and they took those ideas back to europe and and that generated the enlightenment and generated like all of these things where which led to you know french revolutions and you know essentially mm -hmm. modern democracy mm -hmm. um so it's 
there's a really interesting and perhaps overlooked uh, significance to the history of this this democracy in the in the in the world. Um, wow. at, okay, yes. You know, where, and so it's it's a uh, it's a really special place in that sense. And um, you know, that is what we were asked to look at was like how was this land used, and what, mm. and that made me go back and look at you know what what was the what was the history of this land? How how did this mm-hmm. stop being Onondaga and Cayuga land, and and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and what happened? And essentially, in in this history, um, I came across this podcast called uh, "The Land You're On," which is actually done out of the University of Syracuse um, by some uh, members of the Onondaga who. Mm, who talk about that history of that land <laughs> the land you're on the land i'm on and uh it's it's really interesting I mean, it's basically um the the hanasani uh sided with the french during the french and indian war and then of course the french lost to the english and uh george washington um to punish the hanasani sent armies to new york to basically decimate and burn uh every mm all of the settlements there all the i mean all mm. of the, not settlements but all the villages and all the people and all the farmland of the Haudenosaunee um to you know essentially starve them out and punish them for for uh, siding against the english and which were the english at that time or i guess the maybe it wasn't the english that time. maybe it was after the i, I have to get my history straight but um uh yeah so that's that's part of what happened with this land so and, and that i mean i could go on and on and on because obviously mm-hmm. there's so much to say but yeah um yeah. it's it's interesting that that's where this whole process began and then mm-hmm. yeah, you know it one of the great aspects of of looking uh, through this lens of permaculture is the next the next step is you you kind of take this macro look you look at like the globe and you situate mm-hmm the land you know in the context of the globe and then in the context of um the continent and then in the context of the nation and mm-hmm. the state and then that local community and so you keep sort of you start really big and then you mm-hmm. come in close um yeah. and, and slide it, eight right Just that's slide eight. eight yeah yeah and then and then like what's there like what's on the site what's on the ground mm-hmm. what's it look like um, what's the landscape and at each phase. So this is, those are just the first couple of sections, but each phase where, you know, you, you're, we, we were asked to look at the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, the SWOT analysis for, yes. mm-hmm. for each of these things, which was always challenging. I mean, sometimes I was just like, oh, oh I have to do another SWOT analysis, you know, like every <laughs> section has a SWOT analysis. Well, yeah. And then what I found was some of the most profound insights happened as I forced myself to think about it in different ways. And I, I started realizing in so many cases that the weaknesses became opportunities, um, you know, the threats and strengths were deeply related. Like there's so many fascinating things that happen when you start to do this as a, as a discipline when you're doing these analysis. Um, and it's also where I started thinking like, I keep talking about like, here's all my fears. Like this is the thing that I keep saying is a, is a weakness or a threat. Like, how would I, you know, in permaculture, um, you know, they say the problem is the solution. And uh, it's, you know, whether or not you care about permaculture or not, it doesn't really matter. It's just a great way to consider looking at at something like that, like looking at a design process where within 
the things that you're most afraid of, uh, the things that you see as the greatest threat to your vineyard or whatever it is that you're doing, your 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 winery project, within those uh, concerns is the is the seeds of what the solutions to that concern is. You know, it's like mm-hmm. embedded within that is is where you'll find how to work through that is how how you find overcome that challenge. And so that's where you know, like when you really dig into that is where I started finding some of the more profound things. So. Um, we did a lot of map drawing. So we had to like, you know, Google map the site and then, you know, drawing in the waterways and then drawing in the water movement on the land, where, it, where the water runs, what direction it runs, where it collects. That? Adam, I, uh, let's pretend I have no idea how to do this. How, how do you do that? Great. Do you yeah, do that? <laughs> that is a great question. Um, uh, For me, I mean, so partly in Google, so with the, the tools of Google Earth, um, and then uh, some, there's like a, an add-on that where you can add contour lines into that. So if you have a topographic map of your site, mm-hmm. uh, and also just the knowledge of your site, I think is really important because even with topographic maps, if you're working on a small area, a lot of times, you know, the, mm-hmm. the sort of resources that, you know, sort of ra- national level resources that you have uh, yep. for for topographic things are not going to show very detailed elements of your site and so i you know having a knowledge of your site walking the site i mean i've walked Mm. the whole (laughs) land multiple times spent hours Mm. on the land but then also yeah looking at the contour lines and trying to piece those two Mm. knowledge like your practical on the ground knowledge with this sort of overlay topographical map knowledge um is how i found it to be the most effective Mm -hmm. yeah well, I, if it's okay, well, I'll, I'll just add to that, that, um, <clears throat> uh, as you said, walking the the, uh, the, the site, um, and what I also f- find more and more helpful is, is, is drone footage. And I know not oh, everybody great. has a drone. We have a drone for our company, but um, maybe you, you'll be able or in the market to, to rent one for a day or two or have a friend that's, you know, just waiting to, to do this kind of stuff, then, you know, get them out. Um and uh, take drone footage of the, the land, and that really supports, um, you know, the, the different angles. You just fly around your land um, or the piece of land that you want to plan, um, and, you know, and take, you know, um, um, pictures from all the different angles that you can. Um, and it will help you get a better understanding of, of your site in general, tricks, exposures, and, but also how water is going to flow. And, um, yeah, as you said, using contour maps is what you need to understand and to be able to read to um to um, um to, to 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 understand where the water flows um you're lucky you're basically in the game of having two major um water uh, or, or creeks or, or rivers running through your property that merge um that's of course not the case for a lot of people or everywhere right. um but yeah this is really vital to to, to map out and to, to kind of um yeah, show and 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 um, and see where the, where is actually the water coming from. Also, outside of your site, I mean that's also right. important. Um, you know, you you were saying that there's a watershed on top of your site, uh, so um, just to, to bring that up again. And yeah, and that again, that actually, is, if you want to look at this, this is slide thirteen. Uh, you will find these things. Yes, and and we get even more so into. Uh, so we do, I mean, it's funny, there's almost like this redundancy to the process that we did because we do this sort of water analysis and then we come back to it at the end mm. um, where we do site water flow analysis uh, starting on slide 69 
And that one, um, slide 70, you'll see the actual watershed. So the, the perimeter of the, the top of the watershed is outlined and you can kind of see how directly, how very close the, the property yes. is to that top mm -hmm. of the watershed and and where even that stream originates within the watershed yeah. or the two streams originate within the watershed mm -hmm. um so that's like the bigger you know sort of meta-analysis mm -hmm. right before you go into design <laughs> mm -hmm. um but you know i mean some of the other things that are considered with that is i mean you know some of this is particular to permaculture but it can't hurt anybody in anything is no, no. um the climate survey so then you start looking again we're still in the meta sort of analysis but like mm. what is the historical data for your area in terms of um you know what is your elevation how many what are your average frost-free days what are you know what is the average high and average low uh, mm. during each season um what are your precipitation records and like what, you know, what's your average precipitation throughout the year mm -hmm. and mm. you know so, so that kind of stuff and then you begin to build from that you know this this sense of like a rhythm of the rhythm of the land and and how it pulses with matter and pulses with water and mm -hmm. um and then we you know another thing that is particular to permaculture i think uh is this sector analysis mm -hmm. where yep. you basically put circles or partial circles uh mm -hmm. that are where different influences hit come onto your land whether it's water mm -hmm. whether it's fire whether it's sun the summer sun the winter sun the summer wind the winter wind and mm -hmm. then neighbors and visitors and you know essentially like the human element where where what sector do they <laughs> does that approach mm -hmm. your property from your site from um and wildlife where does that you know where, mm -hmm. where you know this from, is yeah. so um the non-human stuff mm -hmm. uh, and then so uh, again that was, that was slide 27 by the way for the listeners thank uh, you yeah I, it's a really nice compass you made um <laughs> thanks yeah and then and then you uh, another thing that's particular to permaculture is zoning so you you have mm -hmm. zones one through five and zone one is like essentially where you live and and act daily and zone two is you know also daily but not you're not like mm -hmm. you have to walk out into it <laughs> it's mm -hmm. not like where you live and act uh, uh, you know all the time and then it goes from there so you're doing you know zone three you're maybe doing um you know bigger farming and stuff like that um and then zone four is you know maybe it's woodlands but you're doing some management of it and zone five is essentially you know the the unmanaged part of the world mm -hmm. that sort of wild zone that part that you leave um mm -hmm. you know the and that you you know kind of yeah you leave untouched or yeah. basically you you observe it rather than um mm -hmm. then uh try to manipulate it essentially mm -hmm. and and you know and you can think about this and i mean a lot of people who go through this process are doing this in urban areas so you, you can think about this even you know maybe in in los angeles my zone five would be the beach where you know i'd, I'd have to go out <laughs> to the beach and 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 mm -hmm. uh, you know like check out the ocean and think about you know, meditate on the ocean to get my zone five influence in my life but mm -hmm. um you know there it, there's different you know different ways that you can approach that in different areas and different contexts but the zone thing is something that you think about hmm. um and then again water survey Mm -hmm. um, but this is like where you get your drinking and mm -hmm. 
drinking and waste, like where you get your drinking water from, what you do with your wastewater and how that's managed. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, you know, what's happening with rainfall on your site, which again, water was a, is a huge thing. Uh, then we did soil analysis. So there were soil mapping and testing since I had multiple meadows. I took soil samples from each meadow. Um, mm. It's also a great process anywhere you are. You know, to and not only very important. Okay. Yeah, not not Especially just to look. I mean, I, yeah, I found out that the pH in one of the mm -hmm. uh, meadows was actually like four point five. So I'm thinking wow. blueberries <laughs> for that, that yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, because uh, you know, it's that's just a incredibly low pH, very acidic mm -hmm. soil. At least you know, and I'll, I'll probably have to retest that. I only dug one hole there, and I could have gotten mm -hmm. a skewed sample from that. I didn't do. You know, it was this was, mm. you know, not for. Uh, a f this wasn't as thorough as I should have been. I put it like, you know, soil sampling is like dig, you dig like a dozen yeah. holes from all over the meadow and, yeah, and then so. do an amalgamation and sample that. Yeah. I just dug one hole. I was, I was done well, digging that day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, but that's, that's, um, you know, that's something we really, we really put a focus on. Um, and also understanding, especially for perennial crops like vines are, um, I mean, the understory soil is to understand and to know what kind of soil it is um because it also affects which kind of trees um, will work on that site right um, if they have to dig a bit deeper um to, to to stay there but yeah um just to add to your um what you just went through i mean we we had a bit of a quick one on run on um all the different aspects of your survey but um yeah i mean the climate survey is is uh, i think together with the soil survey and and talk with, with the farmers for us it's the um most important um um yeah. to, to kind of form the goals and what is possible and realistic on the farm so yeah. for anybody that wants to kind of focus on things um i think that is that is um the most you know that you should have a very clear and a very good answer to and there's also the best uh, data to these things um the sector compass is something that we that you can use later on is, is one of the tools that you can use later on to visualize when we're actually plan, um, planning the sites. Because remember, guys, everybody who's listening, we've been talking about what Adam's been doing here, but we haven't even, you know, talked about what he's going to do. Um, so, right. you know, this this part of what you were saying, these nine weeks of analysis or, or, um, of the, your 10-week course, that is, you know, it's, it's important to do these things and do it thoroughly. And um, they will all come as information into your um uh in, 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 into play once you start actually designing um your land or um you know mapping out the the zones that you've mentioned but also you know um you know visualizing just helps a lot of people um when when designing a, a site um so this compass is, is very helpful for some people um but yeah um let's carry on there's i think there's an, or i think yes there's one or two more chapters that you could look at yeah yeah after the the soil tests um the ecological survey i thought that was really yes mm -hmm. uh, a really good one where and, and this is where you you realize your ignorance uh, i mean unless you <laughs> unless you well, are unless you're really well informed but just like yeah. when you start digging into um you know what <laughs> mm. like what are the like how what would you eat seasonally like what are the actual things mm. that you that are edible that actually are on the landscape right now um oh, wow. that you mm -hmm. could that could be a food source in every season and um you know it just can be like hmm 
That's a great question. And I'm going to have to do a lot of research about that because I have no <laughs> idea. Uh, but yeah. And then like what medicinal plants are on the property? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So these are, I mean, this is maybe mm-hmm. looking, asking you to look at things that you, that have no, what or you think have no import to your mm-hmm. project. Yeah, you know, I want to plant a vineyard. So like, what, what do I care what edible plants are in my property? You know? mm-hmm. But this kind of ecological exercise, I think is, was i mean it was just revelatory for me like Mm -hmm. you know just digging into having to do the research about like what do people like how did people live on this land you know Mm. (laughs) like when this was all they had when they didn't have exotics when they couldn't go to the store and get things that were Mm. imported from somewhere else like what like what was going on like how is this possible um it's i mean it was just yeah it's it's mind-blowing to me anyway i mean i'm fascinated by this kind of stuff and it, it also makes you appreciate some of these things that you might have just cleared you know <laughs> you might have just like let's bulldoze that because the vineyard's going to go there and then you realize that that's like an incredibly valuable food source in the yeah. winter for pretty much everybody that lives on this land you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and if i eliminate that like what are we all going to do like what are what are the deer going to do what am i going to do and that's gone um so it's mm-hmm. you know it's things like that i mean that's maybe like a really rough example but it's mm. that kind of thing that yeah you, you know forces you to realize that your your actions in putting in some farming system have oh. lots of implications to the local ecology and mm-hmm. and makes you work a little more carefully mm-hmm. and then uh I, this might uh, again be another um mm-hmm. permaculture thing but it, sort of niching down on the zone thing um we were asked to look at the microclimates within the site now for my site i think i i felt this exercise was a little um like it, it was almost the site was too big like every <laughs> microclimate there i mean like yeah. i could have listed like you know a, yeah, a the, thousand the, microclimates on this site. yeah just the two creeks probably <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. i mean so just but you know if you're it it can be helpful on a smaller site as well um and it, and the, you know it wasn't completely without use on on this size of a site i just feel like um the best the most important part of it for me was sort of the microclimates that were uh, in combination with with plant life and like where i would find them on the land like why am i finding this species here and thinking about what the conditions are that make it that, that made it possible for this this uh, plant to express itself in this place. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was I, I did find that really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a good good thing to say and point out is you know at the beginning what you're doing now or what we've went through now is is basically um, just you know looking at the different surveys that you can do, but actually linking them together is actually what brings us the true information to make it. Um, clear uh, make yeah. a better decision on um, what kind of species we can plant on the site and on the land and I think you've done that um, quite well here on on, um, on slide 57 and um, where you, you you've put down plant species that are typical to area one like this was the white pine and in a south-facing exposed breezy microclimate but it's also forest right so um, you know you've linked basically a microclimate on, um, and the situation to um, certain tree species or, or plant species, um, right? Yeah, and this is yeah. where some of the magics in in later, if you are able to do these links. Um, and I just had a funny moment um, in the sense of that I was always um, when I was doing these kind of courses, um, 
couple of years back, um, I was always annoyed by the local ecology survey, not because I didn't like it, but, you know, um, I was, I, I used it for some, some arable land here and basically it has nothing to find. Um, so I thought, what, what the hell, what's the point of doing this? Um, but there was basically nothing growing and that's just this devastating state. If you think about it, um, that a lot of our agricultural land is in. So anyone that maybe had the same thought coming up when Adam was talking about um, the local ecology survey, um, that you think, hey, what should I be eat- eating except from the grains that are growing um, um, uh, um, during summer there? I, I don't know. Um, well, exactly. That's, you know, that's how poor the landscape is on quite a, lot of, um, on la- on a, quite a large scale in, in most of um, um, uh, the US, I guess, and, and most of um, Central Europe where we live here. Um, <clears throat> just something to put into consideration. But again, if there's nothing to find, <laughs> um, you know, there's, if there's not, not much to survey, well, you're done quickly. That's, 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 I guess, the nice part about it. But it's also, it shows that there's also quite a lot of room to improve and, um, and, to, yeah. do, and to do something. And yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, it's, it's worth saying that, you know, I'm incredibly privileged to be able to, mm. you know, have access to this land uh, through yes. all the, all the uh, whatever, all the chances, chance things that make up who I am and have had the life I've had to lead me to be able to to buy this land. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I feel very fortunate, and I know that this is you know land access is a huge, huge thing yeah. that that you know is getting harder and harder as gaps between wealthy and poor uh, increase exponentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know it's there's there's a whole discussion to be had about that and like what's mm. what's possible on a small piece of land versus like this size piece of land versus like you know a, a mm. huge ranch size piece of land yep um but yeah it's it is uh you know the again just working where working where i'm working and then mm. um this uh i mean i'm i'm just going to continue on so then after having all mm. done all this analysis then we start looking at plant system design which i love that mm-hmm. phrasing in this this is on slide 62 section 12 um, plant system design where it's like mm-hmm. thinking about farming as a plant system um you know or, or whatever it is that you're doing like thinking about your design as a as a plant system uh i don't know there's something i'm, I'm just repeating that but i i i the one thing i was going to point out from i mentioned how this breeding section the it sounds so funny when i call it a breeding section but where the nursery um where i will yes. be breeding vines and trees mm-hmm. uh ideally in this i've chosen the section that is probably the most frost prone because it's at the bottom of a slope mm-hmm. and it's kind of level and uh, sort of next to a hedgerow where the the cold air will get trapped in there and i've done that intentionally because i want Anything that I'm I'm breeding and uh, you know any of the plants that I'm I'm adapting to to live on the site to be super hardy. Like I want them, right. you know, if they die in that site, great. Then they didn't make it, and if they survive in that site, they'll do well anywhere mm-hmm. on the site theoretically. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm actually situating the nursery in the harshest environment microclimate on the site um, as a way to weed out the 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 children <laughs> that are not going to be um well adapted for yes. climate change for a, a harsh future so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's one of the yeah. cool things that came out of that mm-hmm. and then it's that, a beautiful way to think about breeding your own crops and um 
I'll definitely have to get into that again because I'm interested in what kind of vines. Um, but yeah, we'll get to that later, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think we're kind of there. I mean, this is mm-hmm. where we start yeah, getting we to the meat of mm-hmm. um, where, you, you know, in slide 65, you can see my hand-drawn. and 64, you can see my hand-drawn um, yeah. layouts, which is the, the overhead sort of looking down, you know, top-down view of, of the way, a, you know, you would look at a map of a, of farm site design and then 65 is the sort of cutaway like if you looked mm-hmm. you know cut across the slope cut a slice out and saw what saw it from on profile what it would actually look like on the ground um where you get this polyculture situation and uh you know this is again uh, <laughs> there's so many things that go into it <laughs> that have to be um you know, this is all like outline, but it, it's uh, that I think that I to get to the point where I realized how little, how much more I needed to learn. I had to I had to go through all this, if that makes any sense. Uh-huh, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, so this I mean, if you have any questions about this, mm. this is where I mean, you know, I, well, I envisioned this idea of uh, of a vitiforestry system mm-hmm. uh, where the trees essentially are living trellis posts and they are um, festooned with grapevines that are draped between them. And initially I'll, I'll be planting some of the, the hybrid grapes that I have come to work with and, and learn about and taste that I think um, mm-hmm. are the best in terms of their resistance that mm-hmm. uh, I maybe not may be able to grow without even spraying ideally and mm-hmm. and hopefully the this situation where i'm planting these specifically mm-hmm. uh, will add to that it's a it's a southwest sloping meadow about 10 to 20 percent grade um with where they'll be elevated you know in the trees so they'll you know they'll mm-hmm. have a lot of airflow around them and uh also you know frost protection things like that because of the slope mm-hmm. it'll slope away down into the hollow and so mm-hmm. And then the wind will essentially be comes out of the southwest. So if they're um, against contour, if they're you know parallel, you know perpendicular to the contour, the wind will essentially whip up the rows of vines. You know, will yes. will move through them much more easily and create a, a place that's less prone to fungal infection, things like mm-hmm. that. So, <clears throat> yeah. Well, that's. I mean, you started going in into these uh, details. Um, just a quick question regarding the site you were saying it's a south east facing slope um, southwest yeah southwest uh, so, sorry southwest um yes um facing slope and um um yeah i mean it's it's i don't know if you look at the map on 63 it's it's a small part of your land and um right i mean of course the, the rest you would have to clear the forest and everything but you've done your site survey before so just let me like like uh, let's wrap up briefly why is it this site especially specifically that you want to do the married vines just like just give us your outcomes of your ideas and why is it this one i think why this section of the land yes exactly why is it yeah and not the site 20 i don't know 200 meters higher on in the forest and i mean you we could make the argument you clear the forest and you know plant them there Um, yeah well so this this side of the of the hollow uh, is south facing so it it has you know some benefits some some compromises because of that i think i mean depending on the year obviously some some years 
hmm. traditionally in this climate in upstate New York, you, you would want a south facing slope to help make sure ensure ripening of the grapes. Otherwise, yeah. you, know, you, you think we traditionally there might have been a pretty short growing season between frost days and you're often in a race to get as much ripeness as you can to mm. have a, a tasty beverage. Um, that's probably changing. And so that's where, you know, a southwest facing slope could be problematic where you might get too much ripeness actually in the future mm. or in the spring, you know, it's going to be one of the first places to warm up, which might mm. cause things to grow quickly. And then, we'll, you know, a late frost could come in and kill that growth be, mm. uh, on that slope specifically. Um, although, you know, obviously I'm situating it part of the benefit of the slope and everything else is to prevent as much um, frost up. But, you know, mm. we're seeing things in that section of the world where freezes are happening, not even frost, but, you know, just mm. 25 degrees Fahrenheit for multiple hours in May. <laughs> and so, yep. um, you know, anything that grew before that because it was in a warm site is going to get harmed. And so, mm. you know, that's one of the maybe compromises. And, and so on the other side of the, uh, of the hollow where a majority of the land is, but it's um, some of it's steep. Some of it is uh, riparian and some of it is uh, most of it is wooded. It would involve um, clearing you know, a, a maturing mixed forest. And I'm yeah. trying to not do that. <laughs> you know, I, yes. I'm sort of opposed to um, removing trees from the world at this point in history. Uh, <laughs> so everything I'm trying to do is to add more and it just is antithetical. So that, that does mean that like I've limited myself to, yeah, like I said, like on this, on the South side, it's maybe going to be um, 16 to 16 to 19 acres of plantable area. Um, mm. and then on the, on the North side, it might only be, you know, six acres, uh, if you include that sort of, um, mm. successional meadow, marshy meadow that I was talking about. So mm -hmm. this, this is one of the main sites and the, the way that I've chosen to plant it and the way that I, where I put it is next to the road. So this, this South side also touches the road. Um, and it, it's, it's where humans will most access and see what's happening here and this part in particular is it's a way of leading people into something that's sort of familiar i know this is getting a little um far into the the details but mm -hmm. when people look from the road here they will see rows of vines they just won't they, they'll you know so there will be something familiar about it it won't yes. be like a, mm -hmm. like be, and and i'm leading into the fact that on the other site on the south side there's going to be a totally different arrangement <laughs> of <Yes. laughs> this system um, to demonstrate really what's possible with the system. But here it's, this is, uh, it's a, it's evocative of what people are already familiar with in in viticulture. And so, you know, it's a, it's a way of easing people into a new experience without alienating them. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And so I think that's part of it as well. But also it, it works because of the slope and the water flow. I wouldn't, I think some years there can be a lot of water and I don't want, um, the water can be, you know, can, can really, the soil can get really waterlogged. And, yeah. and so having, um, I don't want to rely on planting on contour or having to terrace or anything like that, because I think it, you know, this is in a part of the world where some people even tile and create drainage tiles under the soil mm. because it's so wet at certain times yeah um, mm -hmm. so this is you know i'm planting a, you know against contour with the slope 
down the slope um, to allow mm -hmm. for airflow, water flow, and also this sort of uh, sense of familiarity when people are first mm -hmm. introduced to it. I like this. Um, thanks for the explanation there. Because um, <clears throat> that, you know, that's exactly, I mean, you could have cleared some kind of forest, but again, it's not fitting to your goals. It's right, right. that's what I'm trying to, you know, I was trying to say at the beginning. It's you right. know, somebody else who doesn't have that goal would have maybe would have come to the conclusion. I clear, I'll clear that forest. This is the better area to make wine. Uh, to make wine, maybe. Right, right. You know, um, but so you know, um, just tr for everybody listening, it's it's for me. It's important to understand and to make a. So to give a sophisticated answer, however it um, uh, looks like, to why you're going to do something the way you do it, because um, and that's also the beauty of documenting these things, like you've done, um, and that's what we also do in our work. Is is we've we've had some ideas and we've you know come come to a um, um, uh, a conclusion of how we want to do things, and if we have this to look at in twenty years. <laughs> Well, well, we'll understand again, you know, why did we do it and what were the goals and did we actually achieve them, you know? Yeah. Um, so this is, this is very important. And I think this is just in general um, something that's not been done enough in, in agriculture. Um, uh, and, and we're just used to farming in, in, in sculpted and modeled ways um, and, and just repeat them and um, over and over in, in other parts of the land. And I think... Um, you know that's that's part of our problem in our um in, is this very um maybe the only thing that's being analyzed analyzed is is the land capable of producing potatoes for example right. and if that doesn't work out well you don't do potatoes there but that's it um instead of asking the question hey what what would actually fit to the land and i think that's what you've done um beautifully i mean of course you came with the idea of growing vines um and right. Um, you know, you want to make wine. You're you work in that field, and you you love it and everything. But still, as you said, you were open to the idea that this might not fit to a site, and I think that's that's really part of that. Um, if, but yeah, okay. Can, so now, um, can, can I point out yes. two things? Um, sure. One of the one of the the questions that I was asked, you know, one of the questions that I was asked to consider in. Yes putting together this plant system design was or or that i was asked to incorporate in that um by just by this process was what are the the wildlife movements in the land like where mm -hmm. where do the deer move where do the you know where do these things go mm -hmm. and that actually created the the blocks you know the quote-unquote blocks of this hillside meadow because i oh, wow. i created pathways where I've seen the most animal movement and where I've seen them, mm -hmm. you know, where I've seen the beds and where I've seen the tracks and how I've seen them move in the land nice. um, gave me this idea of like, well, I'll build a block so that they can move around it essentially. And, and so it, it actually informed that, that, and um, at this stage, like on, on slide 63, mm -hmm. I, then 64 and 65, I still hadn't considered how much I might integrate water and things that like water into the system because this can be a really watery context i mean it can be mm -hmm. you know very wet there and and um i'm you know so at this point you don't see a pond drawn into that uh mm -hmm. hillside um, those hillside vitiforestry blocks and then later on you'll see that like i started thinking i should put a pond mm -hmm. up at you know on the on the high point of this meadow uh for multiple reasons to create beauty um, you know, people love 
ponds and mm-hmm. the streams that flow out of them um it could it would break up this this meadow in a way that i don't think is necessariness i mean it's a beautiful meadow but it's also like it would be maybe even more beautiful <laughs> arguably and it would also break up the idea of this linear like rows of vines if i had to plant around water features if i had to design around that and think about that mm-hmm. but it also provides a practical application because i plan to have animals and um, mm-hmm. you know, waterfowl who are grazing this and so having a water feature for them to get water from throughout the year is just a practical consideration that i don't have to like put in water troughs that are big plastic bins you know for them i mean maybe i'll be doing that you know i'm not like opposed to that but Hmm. to be able to have a water source that is integrated into the landscape where they can get water seems really smart as well if i'm not carrying or pumping you know whatever so that's this all came into play you know Hmm. already i'm at slide 65 and new ideas were still sort of percolating (laughs) about in this design so but that's just you know that's what i was saying um at the beginning was this this process that is happening inside you you start you know doing uh, some design and then you come up but wait i actually do you know i have this you know i want these animals and it would be nice to have for them you know and also hey, my goal is beauty and you know and you kind of re you reiterate your your designs permanently it's it's quite very common to you know to make several designs to really come up with something that you feel is truly fitting and that's that's perfectly fine um and yeah. just a good example of it all right cool yeah. but that's a good explanation i was wondering about the blocks but then yeah that's a good uh, uh the, the the deer movement uh, or a wildlife movement is, is a nice yeah it's a nice way to look at it and and you know and, and maybe also um something to point out um um you know this is one way to decide how to make blocks right but whatever you know is this is this is adam's way to do it and um, maybe why mine would be different i don't know right um, yeah. thought about it but you know this is okay and i think this what, what i'm trying to say is is um we all have our different reasons to look at things and some may might seem crazy or irrational for some people but hey this is you know it's, it's also your land and it's also you know you're leaving your kind of style and imprint on this um but there's a, a, a reason for it and i think this is what i was saying before is this whole idea of having a sophisticated answer to these things is, is quite good yeah and i think being I mean, more sophisticated and maybe saying hey this is how we've always done it right, right. <laughs> well sadly and, the answer that we get a lot <laughs> well and and it's i mean i, I as much as the animal movement well I, i'm saying animal movement but they they move in ways that are that have a wisdom embedded in it you know so they're mm. moving with the contours of the land in in response to the geography and the and the ecosystem so when they have paths you know it's important to look at them and and ask why like what is happening there like is you know is the soil changing is the slope changing is you know and in in the case with these blocks all that is comes into play as well where there's like a slight change in in the direction of the slope or the contour of the slope and so that's of course where they've sort of found their their niche in terms of a path and a movement area um Mm. so it it you know it's it's a yeah it's a combination of things but they they've actually given me the the key to to see those other elements um and to explore you know to to look for them Um, so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah very cool um yeah well um Okay, now I'm looking at slide 65, and which is showing ba- basically showing us the design of um, 
um, of of the um, your trellising system um, or hmm, is there a new word that we can find? <laughs> trellising, something <laughs> right, like that. Right. Uh, a treeless, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, um, and trellising yeah, system. Just, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, something like that. It's, um, yeah, that's good. And um, there's a site similar to that in Germany, um, which is, um, I mean, the trees aren't the trellis, but um, they have been planted very densely and. Um, I think I, I was talking about this in the other episodes. So I'll make it quick. Um, uh, it was saying, uh, um, basically, they had um, one tree in... Um, no, not one tree, sorry. Um, they had the trees in every row, um, every four meters, and they would plant two vines next to it. So this was this... It was actually a, um, a site planted to um, study the interactions between vines and the trees. Um, if they would exchange nitrogen, carbon, and water, and um, if they were affected in any way, um, was questions that the um, winemakers had, but they weren't really um, looked at, at least in the beginning um, of the project. Um, so, um, uh, so deliberately, they were planting these um, vines and trees very densely together. Also, um, and for me, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is one of the sites, uh, you know. Um, I, I I I was thinking along a lot of uh, um, uh, for, for quite a while if I should show this to um, uh, my clients, um, but there wasn't really any other sites to to have a look at, and I was intrigued to see it. And then I thought, hey, let's see what the responses of the winemakers. This is going to challenge also if if vitiforestry is really a thing to do. And this site is at one of the um, uh, least sunny areas of German wine making areas at the Saar mm. Valley, and um, so it, also again a site where you wouldn't really ex- think it's a good idea to you know take sun away from vines you know so this is this notion that we come into um, into vitiforestry really and um, we were all amazed like uh, um, yeah this, uh, this this wine growing area that is really one of the coldest um, and um, poorest um, in the sense of that it gets the least sun um, in Germany um, makes fantastic wines that. Um, known worldwide but um um yeah it's uh just it seems not the idea or the, not the place where you yeah no yeah that's what i was gonna say it seems like a strange place to do this kind of to add exactly. more shade and <laughs> exactly 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 so yeah. i you know I, I i went there with um um our, our clients to see how they would react and you know and and um, see how what they would say and also talk to the winemaker that was making wine um, with these uh, vines and um, it turned out he was talking very positively about this and um, also the results showed in, in the studies that were done there and um, um, so I kind of wanted to, to yeah from because my my preconception of of it was this is probably going to be a horrible site and and I've, I'll probably you know because it was planted so densely and you know how on earth how on earth should any good wine come from this and um and you know i was feeling either i'd lose my clients at that point but then i thought hmm, you know then again maybe then it's just not a thing you know and i'm I'm also a friend of saying that maybe you know it's not agroforestry i was giving this big um talk about why i think agroforestry is great but it's also no not a thing that we need to do right so you know if it's if there's a place it just doesn't fit well um for maybe ecological reasons um even um right uh, um 
because it's just supposed to be an open meadow. Well, maybe that's a good thing not to plant trees. Yeah? And um, so I was open minded about that and thought, well, you know, let's see how they react. And everybody was really positively. And that's why, you know, Stafford Hof and places like that and other of our clients um, have have um, done the um, to, to take have taken the step to to plant trees in their vineyards and shrubs and hedges and all that. Um, <clears throat> so, um, you know, I from your design what you've come up here was it's actually really close to that um design and um for anybody that now looks at or um, looks at the slide 65 and thinks of god um you know this is going to be you're in 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 one of the most elevated parts of of um the us and um and also elevated in the sense of being very high north and um very cold area um I think our preconception of vines um, and how they work and what they need is maybe maybe wrong. I'm I'm still I'm, I'm still in the gist of figuring this out. If um, mm. but it seems weird and um, that in these places that the the wine is actually was actually benefiting from um, from the trees. There was actually um, the riesling vines, for example, had more water in their leaves um, than the ones with the, um, without the trees. Things that we would say, hey, isn't the the tree taking away water, and uh, mm. from the from the vine? I I, I I think that this kind of system of pollarding the trees, so you know, cutting the trees back every um, every other year or every third or fourth or fifth year, um, is actually keeping them in a, in a size where the, the they are manageable um, and also not as strong um, as a competitor against the vines. Um, and also, if we think about it, of course, the vine is a climbing tr- um, 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 plant, and this is the kind of this is actually where they used to root and and get nutrients from. So maybe there's something that we don't understand yet fully um, about how wi- vines grow. Um, yeah, that uh, that gives this big potential for this kind of um, vitiferous systems. And if you think about it again, why would you would do this with trees? I mean, these are living trellis systems so these will outlive they will actually get better and stronger with time um instead of posts that you know degrade or that we have to use a lot of chemicals that they don't degrade um and um that is that is some of the chances that we have with these kind of systems is that it's actually and and again it's it's also hopefully more economically friendly and i think there's this big argument to be made that um this there's a kind of ecosystem you know happening and 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 being that 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 is actually you know um if you look at most wine and how it's grown it's 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 not a in in any way um and form um even close to resembling um and and a real ecosystem um yeah because it's just this kind of monoculture system which is just not natural in that sense um yeah so you know just wanted to bring that in here for, for the listeners um this is some of the things that we've seen and um and on on sites that have been around for actually this is site has been like planted 15 years ago actually they've been pollarded several times and and um problems like sunburn haven't occurred or very in very little amounts have only occurred in the agroforestry system whilst in a year like 2018 was very um sunny year, year with a lot of sunburn there was other sites that had twenty to thirty percent sunburn on their um, white wine grapes, um, which oh, wow. affects the taste and the quality of the wine. So, again, that's you know this, these are the, the aspects where we have actual chances through the viticulture um, to gain 
also something quality wise um and as i said um also the microclimate um i said this before might be beneficial to keep the style of wine that the wine region czar or mosul or whatever is, is actually been known for and is not maybe as highly affected by climate change than it's, it used to be and maybe if we you know in, in the mosul valley we're really known for the high acidity um, minerality vines um that come from the slate soils um <clears throat> of this um, amazing fruit um special fruitiness to it it's it's you know it's something that we'll lose over time of climate change because the grapes just ripen differently now um and have yeah. higher alcohol contents and all that so long story short i think there's these big chances in these kind of systems um just to take this um, maybe away from you also <laughs> a little bit but um what i love about your design here is is um the implementation of animals and yeah, maybe take us through, through that um, before we get to the vine and the combinations of, of tree and vine that you've come up with, you pointed out. Yeah, uh, and I want to just add, I mean, the, mm -hmm. the thought that I have with these, you know, to, de to describe it for people who are too lazy <laughs> to go look at the slide. Yeah, um, just kidding. If you, if you don't go look at the slide, it's essentially, um, if, I, if I'll describe it, trees uh, that are spaced, uh, you know, at the moment my thinking is about 12 feet apart. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they're pollarded or cut off at around two meters high or just overhead mm -hmm. height or around that height. And, and at that height, they're allowed to grow new growth, you know, each year or for a two year period. And then that gets pruned back again. So they always stay at that height and never become this big thing. And then they, you know, it, but they have enough um, leaf growth and new growth to provide photosynthetic energy to feed the roots and keep stay alive and keep growing and thickening mm. and strengthening while the vines you know sort of twine around them and drape from that pollarded top uh, across the gap to the next tree where they connect with the vine coming from that tree um so they're the vines are planted at the base of the trees and grow towards each other in mm. to fill in that 12 foot gap but overhead at around you know head height so um i mean the one thing that i was thinking was like if you know, if the climate consistently begins to get hotter and hotter in your region and you've mm -hmm. done a system like this, well, you can just stop pruning those pollarded vines and let yes. them grow bigger. And then now you've got a shade cover, you know, a partial shade cover for those vines. Whereas, you know, so you have this adaptable system that can mm -hmm. adapt as climate gets hotter, potentially. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, so the animals, I mean, for me, um, mm -hmm. you know, and this is part of like why I'm, I'm at, uh, Piscinus Ranch now working mm -hmm. with the vineyard there because it was designed for animal integration and it's mm. one of those things that I don't know that much about is like how to care for sheep and how to you know holistically manage sheep mm. in a rotational grazing system but that is what I want to do and you know mm. I as it's um, you know there's there's a lot to manage there and and like an easy solution would be just to mow you know, like if you didn't want to have animals, I mean, animals mm. <laughs> introduce a lot of complexity and other mm. things that you have to think about, um, you know, mm. especially in this context of, of where this land is in upstate New York, they can have mm. very long winters with no forage for those animals. And so then mm. you have to think about where are you getting that from? Um, mm. you know, where is the hay coming from for them? Where's the feed coming from for them? Mm. Mm. Um, so these are all questions that I, you know, am, am working on and trying mm -hmm. to figure out. And, and, you know, I want a system that ideally has zero input. So, 
And I know that's impossible in our world to a certain extent, but you know, shooting for that, like how will I in, in February, like where we are now, how will, how will my sheep eat? You know, how will my pigs eat? And, and, uh, you know, if the ground's covered in snow and under that snow, there's nothing alive that they can forage. Um, so mm. what, what's happening then? Where are they and where are they staying? So there's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of different answers to that question, but, um, yeah. but some of the benefits to this system is the, the idea of how this land, you know, how, how to build soil on the land, build fertility in the land, mm. um, while also maintaining it and managing it and having mm. um, a polyculture, because essentially, like if if we're grazing pigs and sheep, they can be wool, they can be food. So you have you know things that you can uh, they're useful in other ways. Um, geese and ducks are great grazers. Mm. If we're yeah. doing mushrooms, they also eat slugs and prevent slugs from getting you know decrease the slug population that would eat your mushrooms. Um, <laughs> You know, so there's all these different cross benefits within a, a polyculture system to having animals that I just think once you see that, it's really hard to envision a working system that is um, that doesn't incorporate animals and birds and other creatures. Um, and to a certain extent, I you know I'm I'm hoping that the wildlife will be part of that system as well, which is also part of training these uh these vines up high mm. um to be above browse height essentially even for deer but of course you know there are things like raccoons that climb and bears that if they want your yeah. grapes they'll take your grapes <laughs> no matter what you've done yeah. um and you know squirrels and birds so you know this is this is these are some of the questions with the wildlife and mm -hmm. um but yeah I, I think incorporating animals uh to me like again the ponds i'm thinking geese and ducks um and and they're great grazers you know they don't dig like something like a chicken which i love as well and want to use but um they have to be moved much more quickly because they will dig and and you know they're much harder on soil um they you know a lot of what they do is digging and that's mm -hmm. and so you know ducks and geese are a little a little lower impact in that sense and also yeah. love to graze whereas you know chickens aren't they they're grazers but they're looking for grubs and stuff like that more than they're mm -hmm. looking for grass or as much as they're looking for grass mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um yeah i just think um the the other thing is to to introduce um diversity as much diversity as possible into mm -hmm. the land uh, because yeah. i think animal diversity and uh, all this diversity of plant and animal diversity creates diversity in the soil mm -hmm. which adds resilience and health to those trees and vines that are growing in the soil so that perennial crop is benefited from all of this diversity mm -hmm. um i mean there's so many myriad <laughs> ways that i think it, there there are so many different benefits but uh, i i was also listening to a great conversation recently where it's like when you when you're managing land um you know, you'll, you'll do some new, you know, let's call it a disturbance, or it's like a new technique that you're using to benefit the land, and you'll see immediate results. And so you want to repeat that again, and again, and again, and just make that this prescriptive thing. And um, I think in, in terms of eco mimicry, I think one of the things to pay attention to is that it, it we should think more of like a cross training thing, or the way like an athlete, uh, like a 
high, you know, high level athletes never just do the same thing over and over. It's like, even if you're a runner, you need to work out your arms. You need to like, and you, you know, even if, even if you're doing it, all you're doing is marathoning, you should be doing like sprints, you know, you should be doing wind sprints. You should, so there's all this like introduction of diversification of management also is I think really important Mm. to the health of the land because you, you know, you might see an immediate response, but after time that will plateau and maybe level off and even decline. Whereas if you keep mixing things up and introducing these, uh, you know, new elements and different elements, you you get these exponential growth in the benefits of the to the soil and the health mm. of the ecosystem. Yes, and I think, um, um, yeah, it's something um, we might also be able to um, reflect on. Um, uh, actually, I think it's something I haven't mentioned at the beginning is is actually I will start working part time at a um, biodynamic winery in the Mosul Valley. Um, yeah. And um, last time I spoke to, uh, so that is called um, uh, it's it's called Rita and Rudolf Trossen. That's the two winemakers. Um, mm. And uh, um, some something when I was there to talk about the idea of working for them, um, they said, yeah, was one of the key elements and links that we're missing for a biodynamic um, farm or, or winery is actually a, a animal impact. And I just want to um, say that this animal impact is, is quite profound. It's um, yeah. And um, we have a great biodynamics teacher here in Germany called Martin von Mackensen. And he's, mm. um, he's, he's just a very um, great um, person who's really thought about these things from all aspects. And he was, um, um, I was at a seminar with him and he was um, mimicking a cow, how she's eating um, <laughs> the grass. And it's quite funny, you know, this grown man, quite quite tall guy, you know, standing on the stage and just, you know, just like for quite a long time, just mimicking a cow. And then asking, what is a cow doing? You know, what's it? And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of licking. It's got this long... Um, tongue you know um reaching around the grass and it's it's crazy what is it doing well it's it's also spreading its saliva everywhere you know yeah and you know yeah. it's in, and it's basically his, his point was saying hey there's all these ways of how um the the animals yeah, leave their impact on the land if we look for yeah. it uh, look for it to see it and you know that's a part, form of bacteria they're bringing in and um and all that and the nutrient recycling that is just something different if, if um, the grass goes through the cows is diff- or through a sheep um, or whatever animal it is, um, um, you know, it's, it's just recycled, recharged so much faster and, and is, is bioavailable again for the soil um, so much faster. So, um, you know, this impact is quite great and profound. And I think, um, as you said, po- um, pointed out correctly, these um, um, this is this is how organic farming also works and i don't think we actually use the word uh too much today um, um quite funnily of course this is to be an organic um farming um podcast uh, so we're looking at a you know how to do it even even better than organic <laughs> i guess yeah, but yeah. um uh, ra- trying to raise the bar i think that's uh, the way we should say maybe yeah um but um yeah um so um again this this is really also a core principle of, of um uh, organic farming okay yeah well cool um well um so basically when you look at this you also drawn the picture in in a way um that you said that the trellis or the the vines are up about two meters or the fruiting zone of the vine basically is about two meters high or or something like that yeah that's the that's the ideal i'm gonna Mm -hmm. shoot for 
Yeah. So is that also inspired by um, um, the the um, the Dutch um, winery, uh, Dus Dusmus? Was it called? Dusmus? Oh yeah. I mean, well, so I I mean, mm -hmm. they because I, I, I listened were... to that episode just recently and I thought it was yeah. Great. Well, I, I, really I mean, want to visit <laughs> this. <laughs> This I think this was more inspired by just looking back at um, some okay. of the old texts from from Italy. Um, oh, that, yes, that I, okay. Yeah, they yeah. you know where they have uh, uh, it's it's uh, what's it called um, Alberata systems mm -hmm. or married vine systems or yeah. Um, yep. And they have there's some old texts that have some drawings of the way that they used to do it and and there's still some happening. You know, I mean, some of it's really crazy where they have these like huge walls of vines between you know fully mature trees and they're climbing like 20 foot ladders to harvest grapes you know um so i i'm trying to think of something that's a little more manageable than that yep. uh, although <laughs> exactly. you know i'm sure that some yeah. some form of ladder will be involved and and honestly i want to try a few different things because yeah. uh like i mean there are you know there's uh, so many different ways like you said you've you you've worked on multiple different ways to incorporate mm -hmm. trees with vines yep. sometimes you just plant them next to them sometimes you plant mm -hmm. them between the rows sometimes you know it's like intercropping sometimes they're mm -hmm. using the trees as a trellis sometimes you and they're you're controlling the growth of the tree through pollarding or something else and uh and then i would love to also let some trees and vines just mature in mm -hmm. full ways with you know with just some mm. training and pruning to to keep them sort of from out competing each other you know from uh, mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. strangling <laughs> from the vine strangling the vine the tree or the tree oh, overshading nice. the vine or anything like that mm. and but yet let them both grow full um so like you know have like an a, a true vine orchard where it's you know planted like an orchard but where every fruit tree has a vine in it as well sort of draped on the south side of the vine of the tree to um to be on the sunnier side of the tree and maybe not just the south side but you know to get that sense of uh what it what it's like as a actual fully expressed organism that wants you know that as much mm. as it can be versus this one where you know it's more mimicking a mimicking our idea of like a, a row of vines in it on a mm. trellis kind of thing mm. Um, yeah. and yeah, you know cool. both have pros and cons like i yeah you know, i think mm. it's harder to bird net a full tree with vines in it versus like maybe mm. the rows of pollarded trees with festooned vines um you know you could you could throw some bird netting over the top of that at harvest mm. Mm -hmm. or before harvest um yeah and i mean again this also links to your idea of you know trying out you're, you're basically trying to to make um um a, a site that is um trialing and uh the, these yeah. different systems and try to work out um the pros and cons of these things right so um yeah um that's also very fitting to that again you know so for anybody who thinks oh this, isn't that you know isn't that going off the mark a little bit maybe here and there um well no it's it's also part this is, this is why i'm stressing the goals so much because I also I always have that thing that I, when we do some projects and I present them on a seminar or something, you know, I've learned to just have to really emphasize what the, the goal is to explain why a certain outcome has come or a certain design has come up. Um, because it's 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 it deviates so much from from what we're used to seeing. And um, yeah, and again, we need to we need places like uh, this one's going to be. To, to actually understand um, what's the best system for which context, really, you know, or what kind of style of system could work for production-oriented 
winery whilst maybe you know somebody else is, doesn't need to live off of the wine that he, um, he or she does but you know maybe it's you know they want to have a nice place where for people to hang out and it should look pretty then maybe it's the one where the mines grow tall you know and um, yeah so you're, you're doing a lot of pioneering and um, important work here <laughs> well if i had if I had enough land, <laughs> I would yeah. love to do sort of a side-by-side mm. trial where it was much more scientific, where, you know, mm. where I maybe well, right. did this, this exact same system, but used like a, like actual trellis posts and wires and then grew them yeah, side by side and in the same kind of soil and treat, you know, yeah. make the wine the same way and then do a, a taste test and see yeah. like, do we get any flavor benefits from growing with trees or or is it you know the mm. same or you know do we like it better without the trees you know what i mean mm. open to mm. whatever we find but <laughs> True. you know i'd love to do that i'd also love to to do side by side and this is something i i probably will do but you know some of those rows will each row will likely you know let's say we have a like a like 10 rows of one kind of grape um each row might be a different tree and so we'll see you know, maybe we'll make a different wine from each row and see if the tree gives any flavor changes, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, so that, you know, these are, I, I would love to do this. I could do this for the rest of my life, kind of explore, <laughs> explore these questions, well, you know, well, um, and hope to. There's this, this flavor of, isn't it eucalyptus? Some, some trained sons can, can, detect australian riesling from through the eucalyptus or something like that i've heard about this somewhere i I don't know i Uh, think non-trained people can detect eucalyptus it's pretty probably also no i'm I'm saying but that that, that, that's their hint for riesling from gotcha uh, gotcha australia sorry yeah yeah yeah, exactly yeah yeah that's fun Mm -hmm, exactly (laughs) yeah it's cool um so okay now um I, i mean we understood the idea of the pollarding and um, that you want to have different styles um, and you said you want to have the the PV grapes or the resistant hybrids yeah. um, and you also have the animals underneath and, and basically and the, the, mm-hmm, sorry. ideally um, you know over time you know hopefully start the the the, the nursery right away at the, yeah. at the same time we start planting for this so what I would be breeding with would be the vines that are actually growing on the property right now, you know, so they, Mm -hmm. they are actual native wild vines and I will be crossing them to hopefully find a a vine that tastes great uh, and is super adapted to that microclimate. So that's, you know, which I, which I think is, look, if you have the time and (laughs) and the means Mm -hmm. is a great thing for anybody to do that's doing Mm -hmm. vines and grapes because you know then literally nobody can make your wine like you're the only person that can make that wine because that's Mm -hmm. your grape like that's the grape from your farm and Mm -hmm. i think that's there's something really special about that if we're talking about terroir if we're talking about you know really a cultural expression Mm -hmm. through the products that we're making that that just seems to me like a really great way to go so that's part of that but continue on sorry i interrupted no that's that's, well I agree. I think the whole idea of terroir and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's always been a physical, uh, um, philosophical um, question to some degree. And I think, yeah, this this question is of where does it actually start? Doesn't it also maybe start from a variety of bread? Yeah, great. Yeah. Great, um, uh, um, great way to think about this. Um, for me, the next thing, you know, so everybody who's who would be looking at the slides would see that 
from from also my brief check of all, um, all the designs you've done, um, it is basically still in this rough sketch um, phase. That's what I would call this if this was a design done by us. So I, hope, yeah. I, I don't want to um, undermine your design. And if I, if I mean, <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. Rough <laughs> sketches are mostly what, um, you know, they, they are... Um, great and we do these a lot ourselves and um, and they're the basis for the final sketch and the final sketch is the only difference between probably the last rough design and the final step or final sketch is actually that our, um, when we do our designs we we do the um, design in a program called quantum gis um, mm-hmm. which is um, an open source program um, which is a bit annoying to learn it's a very poor powerful program so there's Mm, yeah, it's a for anybody who wants to go into down that rabbit hole. Um, it takes time, and it, it's it's good if you have somebody to show you how to, these programs work. But um, why we use it is is um, because we can use the data from that program um, to um, with our GPS system um, to measure in the um, site at the end. So we can basically what we draw down in the program is um, we would find the exact spot um, by centimeters like these Jeep powered the GPS systems these days are quite powerful um, that you can you know have to by a centimeter or two um, you will you will find the point that you put down on your laptop or your computer so um, what I'm saying that is is that um, I can put in the amount of vines completely exactly so you don't have to over order too many vines or something right um and also we have the exact amount of trees um we know how long the rows are all these things it's it's a very powerful very um yeah. nice tool to have it's it's quite a hard to learn unfortunately it's it's not very intuitive um because <laughs> it's actually not meant to do these kind of things it's a bit it's a bit of a workaround that we use anyway um don't need to go into that to be de- um, to do much detail but um, for me, it would be the interesting, um, what would be your way to approach this now? If you've got your sketches and, and let's imagine you know, you know, you're happy with what you've come up with and now you want to implement this, what would you be your next step? Because this is, from my experience, quite an important um, step, but I'd love to hear your, um, your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, my next step would probably be that to kind of, come up with to actually go to the site and mm-hmm. walk it with a measuring tape and yep. and actually like you know I, i'm, I'm stick whether it's using flags or sticks or something like that but actually lay it out mm. uh, at least lay out the area that i intend to plant first you know i, I think this will be an iterative process for me of yep. you know doing maybe a block and mm. one year and and waiting <laughs> um mm-hmm. till next year to do the next block and and you know mm. probably over five years get most of you know part of the beginning of it planted <laughs> um but there are also you know there's some water works that i'm i'm considering putting in there mm-hmm. too so i think exactly. you know i've already started you know talking to contractors about pond building um and so that mm-hmm. you know this is another yep. like just a real practical thing that i'm bringing up which is like yep. you know some of these things are things i can't do myself without bulldozers mm-hmm. and backhoes and stuff like that mm-hmm. so i need mm-hmm. uh you know a contractor who can come in and dig a pond i mean i could do it i could dig a pond by hand but it would take a while <laughs> um well, so, yeah. 
<laughs> so there's that. I have a good friend. Um, she's living in um, in the Tessin. Um, uh, in case she's listening, hi Marta. <laughs> um, <laughs> quite likely. So, um, but yeah, um, uh, she's dug, dug a pond by herself. I'm very impressed. It's in a steep slope in the Alps. Um, the Tessin is the Italian-speaking part of Switzerland. Um, oh wow! Right there, and she's actually um, dug uh, um, uh, this this um, pond by hand in the steep slope and um, incredible work. So I was very impressed. Amazing. And How big? I don't, I'm, I haven't seen it in person, okay. but I think it's like I, she showed me when I was there and it was quite large. It's not, not, not a small surface area. It's, it's wow. Um, okay. So um, oh. yeah, it, uh, she said it took her about a year, but she's done it. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's what, that's what I was thinking. Probably a year. And then I have a, several ponds to dig. So multiply that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it's it's been one for the workouts, um, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, look, I want to work out like an hour and a half a day. That there you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's cardio and strength, I guess. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, um, but yeah, that's great. Uh, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you too much. But yeah, no, no, no. That's, carry that's on that, that would be it. I mean, so it's mm-hmm. yeah, like mm-hmm. going back to the land because you know since the last time I've been there, a lot of some of these new ideas have come up because of the, this mm. process that I went through. And the last time I was there, I was actually like in the midst of the process. So I, I need to go back mm-hmm. yeah. and actually say like, okay, if a pond went here, what would that yeah. actually, you know, what, what would be the implications of that? Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. rem, you know, what would be the, the consequences of that mm-hmm. and walk through that in the land and then, mm-hmm. okay, great. Then maybe I need, you know, if, if that all sounds good if that all looks good then i need to plan the planting around that space because that space you know now won't be fine so i've yeah i've just mm-hmm. yep. i've offered a i've you know i've, tra- I've traded that piece of land uh, for water rather than for vines which mm-hmm. um you know is another thing like i'm not working with a lot of land there and in, in i mean it's it's a lot relative to some things and it's a tiny amount relative to other farms and so mm-hmm. um you know, I think for me, I'm I'm also thinking of like I know what a viable like winery business mm-hmm. around where it needs to be in terms of acreage, depend you know based yep. on average production. Yep, um, yep. I don't know what the production of this kind of system will be yet. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's mm-hmm. that's a big question. But I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm trying to get at least to that same level of acreage that I think you know most people like sort of with the the Vinichard Dasmus, what they what they're working with, I think, you know, is a, a big enough plot to make a living at, yep. you know, to actually like make a profit and be able to you know, pay mm-hmm. for <laughs> all the things that life brings you. And yep. so I'm, I'm shooting to have that kind of thing. But at the same time, I don't want to, you know, so I, yeah, I, I say all that to say every time I think about putting in a pond, there's also that's, you know, that I know I'm giving up land that might mm. be fruit production yes. land um mm-hmm. so it, you know that's yeah. i'm thinking about that and i want to look at the land for that as well and and yeah uh yeah, yeah and and i mean one of the things that sort of um came out of this design process were these these ponds because there is so much water and it just seemed like a practical and um kind of beautiful addition like when i think about having a you know a water feature in the land or two water features that connect with a with a tumbling stream from down the down that meadow um then i also think like you know the ducks and geese seem like a really integral part of that and then 
they're going to be making that water pretty mucky. And so to clean that water up, um, I've designed sort of where the lower pond spills into a series of terraced growing areas where, you know, uh, I'm now thinking rice will be a great thing to grow. Wow. Um, so it's the, basically rice patties that will be fed by this nitrogen rich, um, mm -hmm. you know, goose and duck poop pond water <laughs> um, that will, the, the rice will be fertilized and they'll, you know, be turning that into food and then when the water comes out at the bottom of those terraces the the water will be clean and can be pumped back through the system so mm. like through solar panels back up to the top pond and and uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know the circle of life continues mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, as well as fish in that uh, pond as well so you've got an aquaculture system yep. um, you know waterfowl as well as mm. you know watering the animals beauty and and then grain production with the rice paddies um, yeah. Yeah. all all from just like this one idea of like wow there's a lot of water here what am I going to do with it and mm. oh maybe like using water and thinking like about that but that also means I've given up three acres of what would be great production land for all mm. this so well, maybe not three but you know some some amount so quite a bit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe less but um, okay cool mm -hmm. yeah and then uh, the one other thing I, I think I mentioned to you was so we talked about this upper meadow which is sort of you know rows of different kinds of trees uh, with vines uh, festooned down the rows you know from the tops of the trees pollarded trees pollarded yep. trees um this is this is reminiscent of what's happening now in a vineyard you know these sort of straight rows and things like mm -hmm. that and and on this lower section uh, of that of the other meadow, it's like the twin meadows. One is like a big southwest sloping meadow uh, with you know with a good good slope, and then there's a sort of level meadow at the bottom of that that's about the same size, mm. and it sort of has a gentle knoll in the center of this meadow. And the plan now is to do the same exact spacing same exact design of the the vines on the pollarded trees on the mm -hmm. on the slope but do it in a giant spiral mm -hmm. that spirals out from the mm -hmm. center of the top of that knoll and and um and thinking about this you know <laughs> it just seemed like a nice way to at first incorporate this system um and still allow room for some of the full full tree and vine systems around that you know on the mm -hmm. margins of that yeah. that meadow um yeah. but as i began to think of it and and i talked you know my the the instructor in this permaculture course was sort of questioning me about it okay i you know like like <laughs> i start i started to realize like in so many ways this um and you know, it embraces the the idea behind what i'm trying to do which is like it's kind of showing that our our agriculture system doesn't need to be thought of as this regimented you know thing meant for production meant for efficiency mm. but and because it's an elevated system you know it's supposed to be like a a wine forest anyway so it's supposed to give you that mm. sense of you can walk in any direction under the vines and so mm. the management of it doesn't really change whether it's in rows or in a spiral in a giant spiral mm. um and mm. okay mm. and it also instead of you having blocks and rows that are, these are separate things like you can count one two three four rows you can count one two three four blocks you now have one giant connected ecosystem you know and and it 
underlines what the whole point of, of this polyculture system is all about. And so I think that's, it, you know, you have to go a little deeper into the farm to get to the spiral, but hopefully by the time you get there, you know, you'll, you'll see why it's there and see how it sort of in, incorporates the, 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 the true Mm -hmm. idea behind the farm in the first place yeah yeah beautiful uh and it's it's going to be so incredible i mean you, you was basically we have we will have two systems to look at um actually if you look at it closely more closely you'll see there's basically four blocks right with different yes yeah. ways the rows are facing and this will probably produce different um wines and um yeah that's that's something i'm i'm really intrigued and i'm, I'm really um um curious about um is is how it's gonna what's the effect of the tree is gonna be on the vines and will be will we be able to taste it and i think um in the interview with jan and kosi from staffelterhof um you know we were talking about this aspect of yeah, what what what's maybe it's 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 also interesting um, um, the effect that the trees have on the vines. Maybe they will, you know, the ripeness of that certain the grapes of that certain vines that are more on the north side of that those trees will be a bit lower or something. But isn't that maybe add to the flavor profile of the vines? Right. Um, isn't it going to make it richer or at least more complex? Um, right. Does, does a wine have to be? Of, of the block of um, of of a grape have to be at the same exact ripeness level and and <laughs> and, and a sugar content um, all over the block um, is that does it have to be like that? And I'm not saying it, it's a bad thing if it is like that, but um, you know it's it's also he, he was making I think it was Corsi saying that he was making the point of um, yeah it's also maybe challenging this the way our wines are um, are being produced and. Um, and also also change the face of that. So I think probably we will um, see a difference in the taste of the wine that is going to come out of these blocks, and it's going to be really interesting. And maybe it's something really intriguing to to also your your customers there. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is my thinking as well. And um, I mean, there is there's one aspect we haven't touched on um, yet, which is would be interesting. I think which is something I actually didn't mention. Not much before, um, but it's something that we look at in our um, planning is um, how do our, um, our customers sell their product? Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, this is the whole marketing aspect of it. But I mean, yeah. there's a point to be made to say, and I'm very open about this, but in, at least in Germany or, um, or probably most parts of the world, um, if you do something like planting trees, this is seen as something very positive and, and people want to be part of it. And we've, in, in the episode with Staffelterhof, we were telling you about the um, um, the plantings that we do where we um, get volunteers in to teach them how to do these kind of things and have them be part of it. And some of them are customers um, or just friends from the farm. And, um, you know, and, and, and there's this whole culture that we try to create around... Um, the plantings of our forestry systems and vitiforestry systems. And I think, um, um, you know, uh, you've said that this piece of land is very rural and, um, you know, you're growing vine probably, I don't know, I don't know maybe you're the first to grow um, vines there and, and produce wine in this yeah. kind of region. I mean, there's the opportunity, the market is is, is probably there for, for you to sell. But yeah, please, um um, let us know what, what your plans were about how you <laughs> sell your wine. And, and... Uh, no, that's great. I mean, and, and you, 
in in thinking about market, I think you bring up like really the the most important key to resilience, which is community. Mm-hmm. You know, this this mm-hmm. the most important aspect of us surviving the future that's coming with climate mm-hmm. change and everything else is. Uh, the roots that are the metaphoric roots that we put down and the, the connections, you know, all the connections that we make within, with the people. And, you know, there's mm. there, actually, it's funny on you, right when you brought that up, I was looking at slide 86 where, you know, you, we were asked to talk about social permaculture mm. um, and what that, you know, how that applies to what we're doing with this, this design site. Um, and yeah, I mean, in in this particular area, it is not too far from, um, the Finger Lakes wine region. I think it actually might be within Mm, the Finger Lakes AVA. Technically it might be just outside of it, but it's, it's close. And so there is some, um, wine and cider tourism seasonally, you know, there is a, there's a lot of seasonal tourism because it's a beautiful area, a beautiful, Mm -hmm. you know, agricultural and and natural area Mm. in the U S and, and, uh, the lakes are a big draw and we're a little Mm. outside of that, but it's, I think it's close enough, you know, that somebody who's some of the brave will not mind going a little off the beaten path to find us down there if they hear about us. Mm. Um, but yeah, that is the idea is again, to, to draw people in, to give them an excuse to come and, and, and visit, um, Mm -hmm. you know, one of those lures being a unique wine made in a unique way. Um, But why it's unique is really the reason for mm-hmm. for having visitors to have you know for them to actually sort of see and experience and immerse and walk through a wine mm-hmm. forest and to feel how it feels different from mm-hmm. a normal vineyard and consider mm-hmm. what that might mean for for how other wine could be produced or how their food could be produced differently mm-hmm. um, or just how they could think differently about you know producing wine and food um, or just living <laughs> in the yes. world um, so mm-hmm. yeah but in terms of market, it's, it, it's tough. It, it will be, um, in some ways tough, in some ways it'll be a, like a little bit of a destination. And that's, you know, part of why I want it to be something unique and special because it, you know, mm-hmm. to, for somebody to make that drive, um, make that mm-hmm. journey, uh, for it to be not just another thing that they've seen that they can see a little more closer and more comfortably to their, to wherever they are. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, that's, that's, I mean, I love, you know, I mean, this is just random stuff, but I, you know, part of wanting it to be a polyculture and, and a, a farm that has no inputs and a farm that, um, you know, takes care of itself, that is a, a full circle farm, um, would, would also be to have abundance that it has outputs rather than inputs and that, you know, all of the diversity can be tasted and experienced through the senses through meals and you know mm. things like that that people can have when they come mm-hmm. yeah i mean that is <clears throat> just imagine not having that thought you know make, making that thought um thought how i'm gonna sell what i'm making that would be fatal i think for a project like this um because you yeah as we as we talked about you you're going away from what is in the norm and um yeah and, and i think it's it's really important to to be able to carry your, your idea and i think that's I, I, again i have to applaud um your 
your, the, the output of your course is, is you really the way you talk about this is you can really transport your idea and 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 you know and I think this is one of what, what one of the benefits of doing something like these courses or you know just yeah. um, working away f step for step through these things because it will also um, create your identity um, um, for your brand also and if you're going to go these steps um, you know make it part of your brand and not just be something you know oh, this is um, this is my funny site I do things differently here you know um, you know I think it, it's, it's good to emphasize what you do there and um, and, and, and carry it um, for your wine brand and yeah that's that's great and um, also yeah as I said uh, think about how to sell it at, and and um, you know okay, this is great you actually realized okay there's tourism streams people that I guess you know the Finger Lakes are not the area that's you know that's that's probably quite eco-friendly people will probably go there um not maybe the party people and um, <laughs> um not discriminating just just, just trying to right, point right. things out um just the um um you know so this is this is also fitting to those i think this could be really attractive to to um these kind of people that make holidays in in, in that area of the land so yeah yeah well, it's gonna be exciting i'm i'm really i'm really curious i'd, I'd love to have that time spinner thing that uh, is, is uh, yeah. in harry potter just to see what's, <laughs> what's what's happening in 30 years just for like 10 <laughs> seconds just want to see it <laughs> yeah yeah um, oh me too me too um yeah that's i mean i mean i should say like uh, you know I, I talking about this within the context of a of a of a permaculture course that i took but of course mm -hmm. you know this isn't you know permaculture is just one framework you have you know you obviously is through your consulting have your own thing and i mean there's many different things and of mm -hmm. course there's tons of criticism that could be leveled against permaculture in some ways you know I have valid criticisms just like with any system um and and yet i i do think it does have some great tools and some great strategies for observation some great values behind it yeah. um I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm just making it clear. I'm not trying to promote permaculture, but just, uh, you know, an analytical approach to mm -hmm. slowing down and looking at land and being very thoughtful about how you mm -hmm. plan to do something with it, what you plan to do with it. Um, but, it, you know, <laughs> I heard something, I actually heard something recently that I thought was fun that maybe we should actually mm -hmm. consider, uh, an impermaculture, <laughs> um, <laughs> so like a, an idea of like um the the embracing the our the sense of our mortality and the fact that we're going to be passing and what does that mean for our farm designs <laughs> um yeah and so i don't know i like that mm. thought as well um mm. it's like a, a yeah little well i mean that's something <laughs> uh but maybe that's also misleading in the sense but there's no form of no farm you know no face of or no no way a farm has you know, we 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 had the, the talk with Staff Elterhof, you know, and um, with every yeah. winemaker, the face of the the wine has, uh, are the wines that have been done, and the style of how the wine was done there. And this is the oldest, um, was the seventh oldest business on I don't know the oldest wine business known um, or documented at least. Yeah. Um, uh, so um, you know, just the last two generations have made big changes in in and before. Jan from um, the the current winemaker there um, uh, um, has started making also natural wines and stuff like that. So with every generation, new things come, changes happen. You know, a lot of the land was actually changed. You know, they've they've swapped a lot of the land now. 
um, to have more, um, you know, bigger sites in one place because um, the compartmentalization of land um, in that area is quite strong. And um, so you have, you know, 2,000 square meters somewhere here, then you have a few here and you know, Jan made a big effort to, to swap land so it's just more in one site. Um, so, you know, it's, it's it's quite normal, I think, to have these changes, but of course they're not quite, for us, quite long time scale already. But, you know, considering geological time scales, that's nothing. <laughs> it's not even a second, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's quite a normal thing. And um, to think that this is going to stay like this forever is, is, is probably not. Once you've implemented it, it's going to start changing already. Um, you, you, you might find a spot where, oh, maybe this is, I always get stuck, you know. Here it's it's too wet. I can't, you know. I have to take the trees out here again or something. You know, you'll you'll be the first to start doing the changes in it. Probably. Yes. Um, yeah. So, you know. That's yeah, it's, that's funny. I mean, I, I I can say from my my very limited um, project here in Los Angeles, uh, mm-hmm. which began with just you know planting some some veggie gardens mm-hmm. um, and some trees, and every year there's almost every year there's been like a major design change (laughs) um Mm -hmm. to the whole yard i mean because now the whole yard is fully designed and landscaped you know with edible and edible landscape edible or drinkable landscape Mm -hmm. um a wine garden and and yet every year i've made or we you know wendy and i've made a major design change to it whether it's Mm -hmm. like cutting down a tree or you know ripping out a garden or planting in a whole new section with something different than was before um, or something that was there before is being totally redesigned. You know, like we, I went from VSP trellising to an overhead pergola trellising this year for the vines that planted <laughs> yeah, three well. years ago. So it's, yeah, I, even this idea of like, quote unquote, permaculture, um, again, I think <laughs> like, yeah, there's this uh, sense of yeah, more adaptable culture is maybe a better way to put it. Um, something um, that, yeah, I mean, maybe we are not... Um, I don't think that is what is meant. That it's got to should yes, stay like yes, this forever. Right. I think the, the idea is, of, I think it's trying to emphasize the sustainability aspect of, yeah. of agriculture. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, I'm just playing with it. Mm. I was just thinking. I just had thought about. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think we've gone through most of these things. Um, yeah. Just for me, maybe some things that I would now. I mean. I'm not sure when you want to start um, um, realizing the project. Um, um, maybe that's something you um, you want to go into. Or is it is it not that you're not at that stage yet? I don't, I don't know. I mean, hopefully. So, in terms of actual like boots on the ground mm-hmm. um, changes being made, hopefully this spring. Cool. Oh wow! But in terms of planting, mm-hmm. in any major way, it'll probably be next spring. Ah, yeah, well, that's at least the time you should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I that's something maybe as a general. Maybe if you uh, um if you want to hear my my thoughts on that, please. It's, it's great to take time to to um before you start planting, and um I say that because the availability you really have to take some time to check the availability of plant material. Yes. Um, I mean, you were also talking about um um planting some pears on and and I think apples also right. Um, yeah. So you might want to have the right variety. Um, you know, you yeah. Have some specifics, and then it's also it's always good to take some time because normally, at least around here, um, it's they're just not always available. 
Um, and it's just great to take time for that. Um, yeah. and rather not plant the tree and just wait another year and map it out. Um, that's always a good thing. And also take it slow because, I mean, this is going to be a major project and a major thing to take care of and invest a lot of time and resources into at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so um, especially this, like this whole idea of, you know, getting everything started, it will, you know, uh, and, and taking care of the trees and everything that they will grow good and, and, and have a good start of their life at that farm. Um, that's yeah. just vital to any project. And I really emphasize that. And I, always, I, I sometimes actually talk our clients out of planting um it, it really happens was you know it's, it's a hard thing to do but in the sense of i, I of course i want to support them and, and that they do the idea but it, it should be um or I, I i will stop them to plant the projects in in one year completely and, and tell them hey maybe let's start with this block see how you get along with it and then do the next one um after that's that's really vital because i think there's a lot to lose along the way if you do it too much and less is more in that sense and all because uh, because it really affects you, you, you know your 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 um you, you personally if these things don't grow properly like you know you can really see these are you know big very important projects to the per to people that we work with per on a personal level and if they don't really you know if they see uh man i couldn't i couldn't you know, there's this one block, I, I had no chance of watering it at all. And uh, now, I, you know, you see plants maybe even dying. Well, you know, that's not great. Um, also, just on a mental level. So um, I always make the um, stress the emphasis of take it slow. And, you know, what's, what's one year or, um, um, or uh, but, but much better to also for your purse, of course, um, to go slow. Yeah. <clears throat> and and um, the other thing is, um, okay, so I mean, that's, that's, pretty cool so you'll you'll be there um um soon in spring that's 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 wow that's very soon <laughs> I, yeah. I, I was expecting something like one or two years or something like that well it's been um, a multi-year process already well, so i think yes. yeah so yes. i think yeah i'm ready to go at this point yeah, ready to ready to like measure and actually you know take take mm -hmm. these ideas again and and mm -hmm. lay them on the land in mm -hmm. person and see how they see how they lay <laughs> see how they lie there you know um but well, yeah. but uh yeah i mean it's a it's yeah it's been a multi-year process getting to here so i think that's that's why i would say that it wasn't like started last year and now it's been yeah and i mean honestly like this this podcast you know talking to people getting has been a huge part in the development of many of these ideas you know just thinking through um learning about yeah, like ecosystem health, and uh, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's all all of it's coming into play. Um, so, yeah, that's like yes. five years of <laughs> of talking yeah. to smart people about these kinds of things. Well, that's that's. I mean, I'm glad that this is the kind of outcome that it has. I mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, yeah. <laughs> um, and okay, so these next steps, I mean, I kind of asked that before. Um, so the next steps would be looking at contractors to come in and, and do that. Um, that the pond work, I guess, would be one of the first things, for, at least for, if I would approach it or if. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah. yeah. And then um, kind of, yeah, because then we have to nursery, work around right? that. Say again. Uh, the nursery, your, your vine. And the nursery, or? yeah, that's the one I want to jump on right away as well. I mean, that one. Yeah, it's you know the the area for that is 
pretty straightforward and yeah because mm. i want it to be such a central part of it and because yeah. you know getting to any sort of usable outcome can take so long <laughs> it's mm. definitely the one to jump on as quickly as possible mm -hmm. yeah true yeah mm -hmm. cool mm. nice yeah. all right <laughs> well, great are I there, mean, it's exciting having... and i mean um you know um i'm sure you are, you're in contact with other people you know other growers from the region is that uh, you're still you know selecting great varieties i guess and yeah still, are you still in that process or yep yep and i mean having said that i mean tree <laughs> grape um finding sources for those which I, I i sort of have but it's funny you say that but like 70 page um or the slide 75 through 77 is called local network survey and so yep. it's actually oh, really? asking you to think about like who do you know in the area and what like who who has who shares your values nearby <laughs> and who can you rely who can you ask questions to and who can you go to when you need you know need resources for what you're doing yep um, yeah exactly mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i mean that's the cool thing I, that's what i really appreciate about the permaculture or in this permaculture course i unfortunately it's not like this in every one, but it's it's actually really thinking about all these things, and it's, it's really worth going through that. And it's actually a nice project process because sometimes you know you have people also clients with us that you know think they don't have any resources at all, and then they actually have a good network. They have good, you know people that will support it. They might have somebody that will even lend them money or whatever it is. You know these kind of things are quite big factors um, in the in the end. So um, yeah. That's great. To yeah. In there. Um, yeah. Nice. And then I guess you also have to do some changes in, in with the house and everything. You have to. You've probably got to start. It yeah. So this is like a, a <laughs> <laughs> This is quickly where you know the budget runs out of steam. Mm. Um, but yes, so. like uh, I, I have a feeling. I mean, we're we're gonna find out pretty soon more about that. But uh, I mean, you know, the house is totally livable and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, whether it needs a new well or a new septic mm -hmm. system um, oh, wow. okay. remains to be seen. It, it should, it's probably workable for a while, um, mm -hmm. but there, there also, you know, needs to be a winery site. There are, there's another mm -hmm. building on the site that would be okay in a temporary way, but not in any sort of long-term way. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, then it's like, um, right. Building is a, is a big one. Um, mm -hmm. And, and also, you know, I'd like to, yeah. And, that that actually building something is probably going to be an early priority as well, whether it's um, a winery type situation or whether it's places for people to stay besides the house, so that you know it's much more easy to accommodate visitors who come from far away because almost everywhere is far away from this place. So thinking about that mm. is another well, yeah, 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 yeah finding. And I mean, this is the kind of things. I mean. I was thinking about the, the labor and everything, you know, but I guess, you know, about the woofing um, concept and stuff like that. Right. Is, I mean, this was my, I was talking about Wilderland. I was a woofer there, you know, this was my yeah. big contact to this kind of stuff. So I am very grateful I've done that back then. And um, oh, that's great. Um, and, you know, there's all these ways of getting people on the land and, and I mean, you you wanted you said you wanted to show people also the, so maybe this educational part of it could be could be something you can do through woofing and stuff like that um, yeah just to get started really I mean this does that's a major project and and lots to do and there's yeah. lots of people that support these kind of things thanks thankfully so um, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, do you, I mean, and I guess my my final question, maybe it's final, unless you have anything else <laughs> to that we might go on. But uh-huh. you know, I mean, in looking through this, any any other suggestions that you have? Like any like, mm-hmm. are there areas that you see an opportunity that I missed, um, or or anything like that? You know, just any mm-hmm. play, like, was there a part of it that inspired you in a way that I had you know that I didn't even consider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's also a nice question. Um, okay. Um, so, I mean, I think you're on you're on the pa- right path there. I mean, for me, like the next steps is, is uh, to kind of look ahead. You've got your draft. You got your what you want to do. You have got your concept, um, and you know, just maybe talk to. I mean, this um, biodiversity aspect is very big in your plans and and, and in your goal, and I think it's always. Um, I'm not sure about your skills of how to detect a certain plant species or animal species, a bird or insect species. Um, there's always, unfortunately, there's always the chance that we just by not knowing that we can, you know, um, damage an ecosystem or um, do something yeah. that a, a certain species doesn't want. And right. I think it would be a viable idea to talk to um, a conservationist or people that might know these kind of lands and these kind of pastures uh, and all that kind of st- stuff to, to kind of just, just tell them that this is my plan. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to plow the soil and anything. I, uh, uh, you, you want to graze it. Is this is this in? But you also want to have the vines there. Do you think this is fitting to the ecosystem? I mean, just kind of, you know, get an input on that i, I don't know yeah. what the outcome would be but i think um, as this is such an integral part of your goals i think it would make sense to check these things out um um you know and yeah. the same with the um water aspect i mean um water is great stuff and we all need it um and uh but water also works in mysterious ways and i, I kind of um um I, I know enough about water flow systems to know that i'm i'm quite limited in how this works and 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 like it's very to make this more clear um, for everybody um the the bedrock and 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 your soil and um, and everything is very important um in 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 terms of how the pond will affect the water cycle on your farm and um it might make make sense to talk to specialists about these things to um understand better better understand if this is actually um creating the outcomes and is actually a viable idea that you want to do with the with the pond's feeding system going up and down you know pumping water back and all that um yeah because these things are easily said and done in in theory but in practice i i I know enough about this kind of stuff that it's not that easy i'm not saying it's impossible but there's there's just sometimes limitations to certain soils or it means that you need to have a different pond system um put in place um and of course these things get really expensive really quickly i think that's something to really look into before really saying or get yourself also fixed to the idea i really want to pond in that spot because unfortunately these things are just very expensive to implement um i also don't know about the legal stuff um in, in the u.s but in Germany, it's basically a thing, a bit of a nightmare to to to, um, to dig a pond somewhere. <laughs> authorities to say yes, this is okay. You can't just yeah. dig a pond somewhere. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm okay in this land, but that actually yeah. is really good to okay, bring up cool. about all of mm-hmm. these design elements. Is like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you could be quickly shut down by local mm-hmm. uh, yeah. 
zoning and regulations it's the, mm. absolutely like the first like i think uh, it's important to point that out that yeah i yeah. left that out of like the design analysis part that mm. i'm actually really fortunate so i forget to mention that but mm. yeah this land is i mean fortunate in some ways that this land is you know sort of no regulations okay, um, yes. but, but yeah most places you would you would mm. run up into you you would run into some kind of mm. regulation some kind of restrictions mm. and permitting necessary that kind of stuff so really mm. important to look into that yep that's definitely it and and you know other than that i mean it's it's you basically i mean you're you're going to start basing your life at a new place and 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 then the whole aspect of networking get people to know about the project i mean this is so long term um and connecting and being open to people being interested in the project and, and working with you um, mm. um, even before you've ever made your first wine is also a perspective to to have um, yeah you know I mean um, I think last time we also talked about the, um, oh, what's it called the, the big Disney movie the little farm biggest little farm um, right I mean they were they already had something to work with um, on, on the land you know even though it was you know struggling as we all seen in the, in the movie right. Um but, um, you know, um, I think all this kind of brand building, storytelling is something you can start now, yeah. basically, even and, and you know, um, yeah. And, and, and then really just think about how, how all the ideals that you have, um, um, you know, of this being a, 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 a basically a form of research site almost. Um, yeah. You know, the, the research also for me it always just makes sense if you talk and teach about these things is exactly do that and and you know invite people to, to help them work there that that's the best form of teaching or one of the best forms of teaching people especially young people um so i don't think you know that or i think that would be a really good part um of that just just to get in people um you know like woofers or whatever system you want to do this in um um and you know have courses you know you have to graft your own apple trees maybe well you know to get somebody in to show people and do it with 10 people it's more fun and you're teaching people and you get more done in one day so it's um, i like yeah. that kind of stuff so these are yeah. like ideas how, how i think that that would fit to your um your your values um yeah and other than that i mean i, I think you're on a good path and i love you know how how precisely you can talk about what you want to do there and why, and you can summon it. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, um, the idea is very clear. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk about all this. That's course, really yeah. <laughs> obviously my passion. <laughs> and, it's also uh, mine. <laughs> Sunday <laughs> evening and um, nothing else to do than <laughs> talking right. with you about forever <laughs> so um, in the sense of talking about my work so um, no it's great uh, I'm, I'm really I'm, I'm quite excited about this quite excited to see and I want to visit uh, one day I'm sure it's going to be marvelous yeah yeah and uh, likewise I, I'm very excited to see how your projects turn out I mean I, mm. I want more and more people to do these kind of things so we can all learn together you know um, it's just uh, yeah there's so much that's forgotten that would be great to uh, mm -hmm. to to figure out, refigure yeah. out, <laughs> to refigure out this. <laughs> yeah, fun. thank you, Nicholas. Cool. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on again. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. 
Well, there you go. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you found that helpful. As I mentioned, I will be linking to my permaculture design project on the beyondorganicwine.com episode webpage for this episode. And I just want to say, I thought many people in the course did a much more beautiful job with their design project. So I want to warn you (laughs) that you may not find my design project to be extra special pretty because I was I was much more focused on the ideas rather than the design aspect so you know keep that in mind be be kind but I think you will find that it is helpful and gives you a great look at the structure of a design analysis through this permaculture lens I also want to say a big thank you to Nicholas again for engaging in this conversation interviewing me so to speak And I want to give a big thanks to Piscinus Ranch for sponsoring this episode. I hope to see you on March 28th and 29th. Don't forget to register at PiscinusRanch.com or PiscinusLearning.org. That's P-A-I-C-I-N-E-S. And a big thanks to Oregon State University Permaculture Program and the professors, the educators there that are doing such a great job with this curriculum.